you, Isaac. That was really good. We got one more at the end. Oh, it's going to be one of those days that your thing is, is not, just not there. That's great. Wow, that was really tight. Should have a big ear. I don't even know. All right, we're just going to go with it. Y'all see that? It's like sticking out. Is it supposed to go the other way? One second. Let's see. Yep. There it is. Better? All right, we're here. We're good. Um, let's jump in. First Corinthians part six, a letter to the Dallas church. And if you remember, the reason we called it this is because we're saying that uh, this letter that was written in the first century has a lot to do with us today because the church in Corinth, the city that it was written in, is a lot like Dallas. And so that's kind of what we've been saying. And so um, last week, SP talked about just grievances and what do you do when you kind of have disagreements with people and that kind of deal. Two weeks ago, we had the talk, if you remember, it was on sexual immorality. And this is kind of a part two. Sorry, didn't warn you, but it's a little different, so it'll be fine. And I want to start by saying this, is that you can learn a lot when you look at the top songs in, in the country in any particular period of time, because the top songs in the country are the soundtrack of our day. And so one of the things that you will find when you do this is you will realize very quickly that the current system is not working. The way that we are living is not working. And so your boy here went on a deep dive last week at the top songs of the country. Specifically, I looked up the top 20 songs and I read the lyrics and did a deep dive. And where I was confused, I did research and I listened to interviews. It was a huge waste of time, but it was also really interesting. And so there are a few of them in particular that like first couple lyrics, I was like, oh, okay, we're doing it. Wow, this is, this is real. And, uh, but this is what I found. Of the top 20 songs, as far as I can tell, there were a few that I was like, I don't know what she's saying. But 19 out of 20, 19 out of 20 had something to do with relationships. 19 out of 20. And so that's fascinating to me. Is of the top 20 songs, 19 out of 20 had something to do with relationships. And then a lot of them, not quite 19 out of 20, had to do with experiencing as much pleasure as you possibly can in life without worrying about the cost to you or to those around you. And what's interesting about that is you see that we are a culture, we are a society that is obsessed with pleasure and we are obsessed with relationships. And yet, when you look at the effects that the way we are approaching pleasure in relationships is having, um, we, you can tell we're very misguided and we're experiencing the effects of this. And so the, the New York Times did a computer analysis over the past three decades of songs in America. And it, it looked at the lyrics, it analyzed them, and specifically when it came to relationships between guys and girls in particular, what it found is that the songs are getting, number one, angrier. And so the way that these songs are coming across, one, it's angrier, and second, it's more selfish. And so that is the trend in the way that we approach relationships where we live. And when you, when you listen to a lot of the songs, you can tell there's a dissatisfaction in what is being sung about. And so I have a lot of compassion for you growing up where we are today because it's extremely difficult to follow Jesus, uh, especially in regards to these topics. Okay, and I'll give you an example. There's a guy 
who did a survey, and he went around college campuses, and he asked people just basically how they were doing. And when it got to the point of talking about pain in their life, as they shared the areas of their life they were experiencing pain, three out of five college students, uh, their responses about the pain in their life was about relationships. Okay, three out of five, the pain in their life had something to do with relationships. And so this is a, an issue that we're dealing with. It's something we're thinking about. It's something our country's obsessed with, yet we're often very misguided about it, and it leads to pain, and it leads to dissatisfaction. And so what I want to do today is specifically in the area of relationships is I want to help you plan ahead or turn around while you're young. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so I'm just going to give you at the beginning, you know how when you write a paper, they make you do a thesis? And I hate that word. Honestly, it's an annoying word. But this is my thesis today. I'm going to throw it up here for you. And you can just remember this. This is it. And so we're going to come back to this. This is going to be everything. If you forget everything for the rest of it, that's fine. But this is it. People who know and love Jesus and know his love for them can thrive whether they're single, dating, or married. That's it. It's that simple. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that. And then that means if that's true, our top goal shouldn't be a relationship status. Our top goal should actually be to be secure in Jesus, satisfied in Jesus, and shaped by Jesus. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that uh, in a little bit here. And so my goal today is, is simple. I want to relate to every person in the room. And so I want to show you this verse. This is Psalm 52, 8. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is David talking. This is the NLT translation. This is what he says. He says, I'm like an olive tree. And you think that's weird. Like if Mark Davis laughs about that, like if I came up to you and said, hey, how are you? And you said, man, I'm, I'm like an olive tree today. We would be like, oh, that's, that's confusing. But what he meant is an olive tree is something that is thriving regardless of its circumstances because it's connected to a source of life, no matter what's going on around it. And so the reason why he's thriving is because he's trusting in God's unfailing love. That's his source of life. That's what's giving him life is God's unfailing love. So he's like, I'm thriving. And he's writing this in a context of suffering. He's not writing this from the palace. He's writing this when people are trying to pursue him and kill him. And he said, hey, I've learned to thrive because I'm connected to God's love. And so if you're here today and you're like, I don't care about relationships. I roll my eyes when people talk about relationships. Uh, this is going to be for you today because you need to be able to live in a culture that's obsessed with relationships. You need to have a biblical worldview and you need to think ahead for the day where maybe you are in a relationship. Um, this is going to be for the person who wants to be dating that doesn't have a girlfriend or boyfriend. You want that or you're just very absorbed in the relationship talk like at your school, in your life. Um, and, and that can be whether you want the connection with a person that cares about you or you want um, that social approval of, oh, that person has a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. This is going to be for the person who's dating in a godly way. So if you're here today and God's given you that relationship in high school and you know, you're not perfect, but you've overall been walking in godliness in your relationship, praise the Lord for that. This is going to be for you. This is going to give you some things to think about. Yeah, if you're here today and you're in a dating relationship, but it, you would be honest and say, man, I'm going to be real. We're not really dating in a godly way, whether because of physical boundaries, emotional boundaries, whatever. Um, this is going to be for you today, and there's going to be a lot of grace um, for you. This is going to be for the person that one day is going to be married. And so that'll be a lot of you. This is going to be for you. This is going to help your marriage one day. Um, in fact, a lot of problems people deal with, deal with in their marriage is because they didn't um, think about it well when they were in high school. 
And then the second is going to be for those of you that aren't married one day, that God calls you to be single. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. So wherever you are today, this is an area where you need to have an answer for. And so I'm going to give it to you. I'm like the love doctor today. I'm just kidding. Y'all didn't, I don't know if y'all knew y'all were walking into this, but you are. And so here's the two things we're going to go through. I just want to do two simple things. Um, I want to talk about the Corinthian situation. They had a situation. They were dealing with this stuff. They were very confused by it. And it was leading to a lot of problems. And then I want to talk about your situation in high school today. And when we get to that point, I'm going to give you three principles that you can apply to your life when it comes to this particular area. Sound good? Awesome. All right, here we go. Um, This is 1 Corinthians 7. It's 40 verses. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're not going to do all 40. Some of, y'all, some of y'all actually showed that visibly. We're not doing it. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you the highlight verses that I think make the main point. So that's what we're going to do. So we're skipping a lot. There's a lot of things that are debated in these verses, but I'm just going to give you like, hey, this, these verses really capture, I think, Paul's main idea. And so this is verse 1. We're just going to start here and then stop. Now concerning the matters, this is Paul writing, about which you wrote. So he's like, hey, you guys wrote me a letter. And so the Corinthians did. They wrote Paul some things. And they had some issues they needed help with. And then this is a quotation because this is one of the things that they said in their letter. They said, it's, it's good then for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, And so just remember, this is a letter written to a group of Christians in a real church in a real city called Corinth in the first century. And Corinth was a sexually confused culture. Remember this? And so these Christians are trying to figure out how do you follow Jesus in a world around us that's all about sexual immorality and sexual confusion. How do we do that? Because it's tempting and it's really difficult. And so if you remember two weeks ago when I gave you the talk, all right, Paul was calling them to flee from sexual immorality. He was like, hey, what it looks like to follow Jesus in this culture is to flee from sexual things outside of the relationship of marriage. And so for them, that would have sounded extreme. Like they'd have been like, what? Like that's crazy. And so apparently some of them responded to Paul's crazy teaching by saying that, that other line where they said, well, then it, we should just not do it at all. Like we should totally abstain. Okay, and is that what Paul's saying? No, because Paul's saying that this was created for the relationship of marriage. And so he, he um, flushes this out. So we're going to read 2 through 9, then we're going to skip to 17. Okay, so he says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And so he is supporting. He's like, hey, God created this. God created sex. It's intended for the married relationship. And so one of the ways to escape the temptation is to get married. That's what he's saying. And he says the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. I'll explain what all this means. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. That means what it sounds like, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Keep going. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. He's single. So it's like, kind of wish all y'all were single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for you to stay single, as I am. But if you cannot exercise self-control, then you should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. That's just practical. It just is. 
All right, verse 17, we're going to skip ahead. This is what he says. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. In verse 23, he reminds them, he says, hey, you were bought with a price. Christ died for you on the cross. He demonstrated your value and your worth when he died on the cross. You, were, you belong to him now. And so don't become bondservants of men. Don't make decisions based on what other people think you should do. You belong to him now. And then in verse 32 to 35, he summarizes some of his beliefs on, on being single, why it's actually a good thing. And he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. He's not saying being married is bad. He's just saying you now have that commitment that you really have to focus on. And he's like, hey, when I'm single, I can fully give myself to the things of God and, and his mission. And so uh, his interests are divided. The married or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman's anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so this is Paul's response. There's so much here, and you might be confused about a lot of it. That's why I'm here. This is why they pay me the big bucks for this, is that there's three things about relationships, marriage and singleness, that Paul gets at. And so these are the main points. And if you're like, why are we talking about marriage? Because this is going to affect how you approach dating today. I'm just going to show you that right now. Okay, so here's number one. I got three things on what is Paul telling the Corinthians in them being confused about marriage and singleness, sexuality, and all these things. And so the first thing you see, and this is, this is actually revolutionary. Like, our culture does not believe this. The Christian culture struggles to believe this. They have, number one, both singleness and marriage are good gifts from God. You see that in verse 7. It says, both singleness and marriage are good gifts from God. This is revolutionary in a culture like ours that thinks you have to have sexual activity in your life in order to flourish and to be complete. That's what our culture tells us all the time. And Paul's attacking that. He's like, no, no, no. It's actually not true. And so part of the problem that Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians 7 is there are people who thought, I would rather be what I'm not. I would rather be what I'm not. And so married people were probably thinking, you know what? Marriage isn't really all that I thought it was going to be. And so I'd kind of rather be single again and be free again. And some of you, when you're dating, you thought that. Like, you've been like, I just want a girlfriend or boyfriend. And then you get them, and you're like, golly, I kind of like to be free again. Okay, and that's what he's saying. He's like, they're experiencing that. Like, I kind of wish I had what I didn't have. I want to be in a different situation. And then on the other hand, the single people are like, man, I wish I was married. If I was only married, I'd be happy. Like, if I had that person, the one, I'd be complete. You complete me, right? That, that belief, that mentality, all right? And what God is saying through Paul, if I can just put it in my words, is chill out. That's what he's saying. He's like, you need to chill. What you need to do is trust my goodness in your life, that your desires are not a bad thing, like your desires for relationship, for connection, for these sexual desires even. They're not a bad thing. Those are a good thing. They have their place. But what Paul's saying, what God's saying through Paul is that you can trust that your God is a loving father that hasn't forgotten about you. He's always working for your good, and he's only going to give you what you need. And so singleness is a gift from him. There's advantages to that. Being married is a sweet gift from him also. That's a good thing. Psalm 84, 11, he says, no good thing does God withhold 
from him whose walk is blameless. It's one of my favorite verses. When I'm ever discontent, when I'm ever like, oh, if I just had that situation, I'd be happy. I'm reminded that, no, 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 God doesn't withhold one good thing from his people. And so both of those things are good gifts from God. Why are they? Because number two, both singleness and marriage joyfully display the gospel and they honor God. You see this a lot in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. We're not going to look at it. Um, common wedding passage. But God intended marriage to be a picture of Christ's love for his church. To say, hey, as Christ has loved his church, a husband and wife are to love one another. That's what you saw in verses 3 to 5 there in some of like the weird statements. It's like, no, a married relationship is intended to be defined by selfless love that's sacrificial. Okay, because they're not always going to look amazing and they're not always going to be fun to hang out with. And Paul's saying sometimes you've got to lay down your, your preferences. That's what, and that's what Christ did for us. So he's like a marriage that's honoring to God displays the gospel to the world. It says, hey, look at the way that Christ loved us. That's what our marriage is meant to, to picture. And so in the same way, though, singleness joyfully declares the gospel and honors God. How does it do that? Because it declares to the world that you are complete and satisfied in Jesus. You have everything that you need in Jesus. So you don't need some of the, the sin that the world's throwing at you because you have Jesus. And therefore, you're actually free to be single-minded for his purposes in his mission. And so Paul accomplished so much mission because he was single. He was able to go and do things that he wouldn't have been able to do if he had a family. And so both singleness and marriage, they're gifts from God and they display the gospel to the world. They honor God. And then number three, here's the fun one, the ability to thrive. If you get this, it'll change everything. It's why we sang the first song today. I texted Isaac this week and I was like, we got to sing Graves in the Gardens because what are we singing? We're singing, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than Jesus. If you get that, then the ability to thrive in any circumstance will be yours because the ability to thrive in any circumstance in your life is found in a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because when you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a new identity. Your worth isn't defined by your success, your relationship status, your possessions, anything. It's defined by the God who loves you and sent Jesus for you. And so you have a relationship with a God who has good plans for your life. And he'll always provide what you need. And so you don't have to worry about, oh, I just need a better situation. No, you've got Christ who's bigger than any situation. And that's why I keep going back to this, the Heidelberg Catechism, which was a tool that would teach people about Christian beliefs. The first question, and I just go back to this over and over again. It's, it's the verse that Paul said when he said, you've been bought with a price. The question is, what is your only hope in life and death? Your only hope. Oh, it's, I would just meet the one. No. It's that I would just have enough money. No, it's that I would just have this situation. No, it's that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's our only hope in life and death. It's not a set of circumstances. It's, it's in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, which means the basic motive of the Christian life is not, oh, I've got to do things so God will accept me. It's that God sent his son to save us by grace and adopt us into his family. And so now, because of that grace, it's why we sing gratitude today, because of our gratitude, we want to resemble and please our Father. We don't live to please ourselves anymore. We live to serve other people and please him. We're so amazed and captured by what Jesus did for us 
that we want to give ourselves to him. We have everything we need in him. So remember my thesis today. Remember this? I hate that word. The person who knows and loves Jesus can thrive whether they're single, dating, or married. Why? Because they can be secure in Jesus, they can be satisfied in Jesus, and they can be shaped by Jesus. And so a fundamental Christian belief I, I just keep trying to plant into you week after week is that joy, contentment, peace, thriving in life does not depend on your circumstances. It depends on Christ. Okay, this does not mean that life will not be hard or that you'll get everything you want in life. What it means is that you get a relationship with Jesus and he's enough regardless. That's what it means. Okay, so following Jesus in high school and beyond, it might and it will cost you something. Like it might cost you, you know what, I don't get to approach relationships how other people are doing that. Okay, or I'm not going to get be doing things on weekends other people are doing and that may cost me being alone or something like that. I mean, you can fill it in. But Jesus is better what it, than whatever it costs you. That's, what we're, that's the message of the gospel. It's not that it's not going to cost you something. It's that he's better than anything else that it costs you. And so what this world's going to tell you as it relates to relationships is that you need a girlfriend. You need a boyfriend. You, you need a wife or a husband to complete you. And what the Bible's saying is, hey, those things are good gifts, but only Jesus will actually complete you. And so while those are, are good gifts and they can be a picture of, of Christ's sacrificial love for his people, your identity is in him. And so you have everything in him. In fact, a few of the most complete humans who ever lived were never married and never had sex. Jesus and Paul being two of them. And so that's shocking to our culture. But that's just a reality, is that Jesus is better. That's why we sing that. Can you imagine what a room of 100 people who leave here and live like they believe that would tr was true, what that would do? That'd be amazing. There's nothing better than you. That's why we sing it, because it would change everything if we really believe that. And so here's the, the next question. I'm going to end with three things. How does that apply to relationships in high school? Because you're not really probably at the point where you're like single, married. I don't know. You're more in this dating phase, which doesn't really exist in the Bible. And so what do we do in a, a time of life where so much attention and so much talk is given to relationships, dating, who are you talking to, who are you snapping or whatever, okay? What do we do in that? And so here's what it is. When I was, when I, when I moved to this, this place, this was years ago, I, I got this chair and it was from Ikea. I don't know if you've ever gotten furniture from Ikea. It really demonstrates how bad of a person you are because it comes with like 56 million instructions. I don't know why I chose that number. And it's like this long list. And it's, they're like, don't worry, it'll be easy. And it'll have this, this um, picture. And it's like, like number four goes here. Number six goes here. Number three goes here. But you have to set up number three. And so here's the picture to set up number three. Number one goes here. Number two goes here. And you're just like, I want to jump off of something because this is so frustrating. And so that's though how a lot of us see relationships. We're like, give me the 10 steps. If I just do the 10 steps, everything will be fine. But that's not what the Bible does because the Bible wants you to trust God. The Bible wants you to walk with God. And so the Bible doesn't say, here's the 12 steps. So by the way, anytime a church does that where they're like, here's the, the 15 steps to thriving relationships, be careful with that, okay? There's not 15 steps. There's a walk with Jesus and he'll guide you. And so based on this, it's more like, it's not like setting up Ikea furniture, thank God. It's more like, like, when you navigate the ocean, if you're going to sail in a boat, they're going to give you principles. 
They're going to say, hey, here's some principles that you can use. And so things happen, situations happen, and you apply the principles to the situation. And so based on what Paul just taught us, I want to give you three principles. These are three gospel-shaped principles that you can apply to high school. And I just want to give you these for the next six or so minutes, and then we're going to, we're going to sing one more song and be done. It be over happens. But here's the first one. Okay, three gospel-shaped principles you can apply to this area wherever you are. Number one is see your worth in Christ. See your worth in Christ. And so Dr. Maxwell Maltz, that's a heck of a name, um, he found out that some patients, after they had pretty radical surgeries, they would still see themselves as if nothing had changed. And so they had been repaired to look different, but they didn't see themselves differently. They thought they were the same. It's like, no, no, you're, you're different now. But they were so used to being who they used to be that it didn't change. While other people were the opposite. It changed them. They lived differently because of that. And this is what he concluded. He concluded that the way you see yourselves to be will affect how you live. How you see yourself to be will affect how you live. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, you belong to him. You were bought with a price. If you realize that you are a beloved son or daughter of the living God, if that's how you see yourself, that's going to shape how you live. You will not need to seek approval in a relationship in high school. You will not need to seek approval in what another human thinks about you. You will not need to ride the roller coaster of human approval. Instead, you can rest in God's good and loving plan for your life. It doesn't mean it's bad to date. It just changes how you date. You don't need someone to approve you because you already have God's approval. And so one of the reasons in our context, just like in Corinth, that people can claim to be Christians, yet do everything, including relationships, in a way that actually just looks like the world, is because human idols, human approval, is more of a God to them than Christ's love. And so what we have to do is take Christ's love and our identity in Him and our worth in Him and get that deep into our hearts so that's how we see ourselves. That's what we base our value on. And so most of your problems and my problems, and I want you to hear this, come from not believing your worth in God's eyes. You forget how much he loves you and how valued you are in his eyes. That leads to like pretty much all of our other problems in life is then we go and seek value from things that ultimately can't give it. And so if you, specifically with relationships, if you're not secure in your worth in God's eyes, as demonstrated by a loving Savior who died for you, number one, you'll compromise who you date. You'll be willing to date people that actually don't lead you in a, in a good direction. Number two, um, you'll compromise physical and emotional boundaries. Um, three, you'll ask a boy or a girl to only give you, or to give you what only Jesus can give you. That's what we do when we don't see our worth in God's eyes. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not um, Chris Harrison, the old host of The Bachelor, if y'all know who he is. I'm not an expert. I didn't write a book on this stuff, but I've done this a long time, and I can tell you there is not a boy or girl out there that can only give you what Jesus can. There's just not. And I know he or she is awesome, but there's just not a boy or girl out there that can do it. You know that Beatles song, Love is All You Need? Love is not all you need, okay? That's not, that's not the case. I, I met with a guy, this, um, this was a few years ago. Y'all wouldn't know him, so don't freak out. And he had just had a really tough breakup. And he, one of the things, he was really mad at God because of some of the things that happened, which I was like, this is cool. Like, just get it out there. Let's talk about it. 
And he said to me, the line that he used, he says, man, I just have been wanting and I've been praying for God to send me that person who will just love me and appreciate me and be there for me. And I thought this was the person. And I looked at him gently and I said, he already sent you that person 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect life you couldn't live and he died on a cross for you. That's the only person that can give you that kind of love that you're looking for. There's not another person who can do that. And the irony of that is only when you get that can you actually flourish in a relationship because you're not going to ask someone to be Jesus for you. You're not going to have that expectation. It's going to change everything. You're not going to ask him to give you things that only he can. And so underneath every temptation in your life right now, whether it's drinking, whether it's like judgmental attitude towards someone, it's a temptation to disbelieve the gospel. It's a temptation to not believe that in Jesus, you already have everything that you need. Everything you need, you already have. It's like we used to have, I used to have this dog in our family where we'd it'd be like looking at you while you're eating and I'd put food on the ground and it would like search for it. And I'm like, it's literally right there. Like just eat the food. It's right there. That's what we do every day. It's like Jesus is like, I'm, this is it. Everything you need is in the gospel. And we run around like a dog trying to get fed in other areas. And you don't have to do that. And so this is one of the reasons why I spend time with him every day reading the Bible. I don't do that so that he'll love me. I do it because I need to be reminded daily that he already does. And so the way that this works, you begin to grow into this, is not by trying harder, but by on a regular basis coming under the, the fountain of God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness in his Bible, and as friends and, and preachers remind you of it. I'm just constantly reminded of his unconditional love for me as demonstrated by what Jesus has done. It's like I'm soaking in a hot tub, if you will, of his grace, love, mercy, and just awesomeness. And then like one day you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't really care as much about what they think about me because I've just been soaking up in who he is. Okay, that's the first one. That was a long one. The second one is this. These will be shorter. Is you see your worth in Christ, see others in the image of God and as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that it changes how you see people. The gospel changes how you see people. Is that if, if someone walked in the room right now and I told you, hey, that person's actually royalty. Like you didn't know this, they're royalty. It would change how you treated them. It would completely change how you treated them. And so because of the gospel, because of God creating people in his image with dignity and value, we see, talk about, and treat others in a different way. And so I told you this before, in the Bible, there's really two labels for guy-girl relationships. It's either your husband and wife, or it's a brother and sister in Christ. And so the best way to prepare for that person while you're in high school, it's to be secure in your worth in him, and to learn to love and treat everyone well because Christ first loved you. That's the best way to prepare for a relationship one day, is to learn how to love and treat every person well because Christ first loved you. All right? Number three, it's, it's about seeking wisdom and character, not a certain set of circumstances. Okay, I'll just, I'll make this really quick, is one of the biggest things I've learned in my life for me is I will constantly make the wrong decision if I don't seek counsel from people who are wiser than me. And so one of the reasons Paul's writing this to a church is he's like, hey, you guys need each other. Y'all need each other to talk about these things and to process these things. And so seek wisdom from other people. You shouldn't engage in a relationship if you haven't asked Christian friends for their, their thoughts on that yet. You should have Christian friends, if you are in one, that can speak into that and can, and can 
uh, give you wise counsel. Um, and then seek character. We often seek circumstances. We're like, oh, I want my circumstances to be better. And what Paul's trying to do is he's like, no, I want the gospel. I want Jesus to shape who you are on the inside. And so don't seek like a short-term circumstance fix. Seek Jesus who will give you long-term character. You want to become the kind of person that's shaped by the gospel, that's shaped by Jesus, that has the inner heart character that when God does call you to a relationship, you can actually handle it. So I want to end with two things, and then Isaac, you want to come back up here? Um, If you're here today and in any of these areas, you feel like you've just completely blown it, the good news of the gospel that we've literally been talking about is that Jesus forgives, saves, and he turns brokenness into beauty. And so my hope would be that this would just be a place where all types of sinful people would find forgiveness, grace, and mercy in Jesus, knowing that we're all sinful people that need his grace and mercy. So I would just encourage you, if that's you today, go, go talk to someone. Talk to me, talk to a leader, and so we can just shower you with his grace and love, and, and then we can, we can guide you in what it looks like to move forward. Okay, and then I want to end with this. I want to put John 6.35 on the board. Um, this is the verse that I used two weeks ago because I believe that if this is true of us, it's going to allow us to live in freedom and wisdom in these areas in particular. So I just want to pray this over you, and then um, Isaac's going to sing a, a shorter one here. And, uh, and we'll end it, all right? God, we do just pray John 6, 35 over everyone in this room today that Jesus is the bread of life, that whoever comes to him will not hunger, whoever believes in him will not thirst. So Lord, I pray that we would be people that as we go to the gospel, as we feast on our relationship with Jesus, the love that he has for us, that we would experience satisfaction and security unlike anything the world is throwing at us, and that we would be people that if we're single, we'd be content where God has us, that if we're dating, we would do it in a way that honors you, and that one day if you call us to marriage, uh, Lord, that we would have marriages that joyfully display the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.